Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs. This is a Dave Cruz from Madison, Wisconsin. And today we are lucky enough to have Pam Grossman with us. And Pam is a director of visual trends at Getty Images. That means she helps to identify cultural and aesthetic shifts and trends. So does that mean she can see the future? Well, maybe, and I hope to find out. So to do this, Pam has an amazing background around culture and art and understanding where people's tastes will head. So I'm quite curious how she does all this, and uh, pa- Pam was nice enough to come on the show. So Pam, thanks for uh, joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. It's great to be here. Yes, we definitely appreciate it. So it'd be good to get to know you a little bit better. Can you give us a, a little bit about your background and how you eventually got to get the images and and uh, how you got started in visual trends and um, looking at uh, where things are headed? Sure thing. Well, ever since I was a kid, I loved studying symbols and art and really studying the ways in which people tell stories, uh, both written stories as well as stories through visuals. Um, I was a kid who was lucky enough to be taken to art museums all the time by my parents, uh, who are both artists themselves. And so... Um, It was really in my bloodstream from a very, very young age. And then as I got older and I went to college at NYU, I wanted to study the ways in which people communicate through images. And NYU at the time, um, this is in the late 90s, early 2000s, they didn't have you know, the exact sort of degree that I was looking for. So I kind of cobbled it together by majoring in cultural anthropology and then minoring in art history, religious studies, interestingly enough, because I love mythology and the symbolism of mythology and creative writing. And through that, I was really able to study the ways in which we communicate through images and the ways in which art changes consciousness, which I think is a real through line um, in all the projects that I do, both at Getty and outside of Getty. Interesting. All right. Can you expand on the, how art changes a consciousness? Um, yeah. What do you, what do you mean by sure. that? So the brain processes images thousands of times more quickly than it processes words. And images make us have an immediate emotional reaction. That's true whether we're looking at something online, whether it's watching a film, whether it's seeing a poster um, or a work of fine art. And I love that immediacy and I love the way our brains are really hardwired to communicate in imagery. You know, images are the universal language. And because of that, I think it's really important to study how they work and which images are the most effective in communicating and in transforming, excuse me, in transforming people's perspectives and consciousness. Interesting. And, and so how did you put together in college 
you know, your own program. It, and it, how do you know what you're going to do afterwards? I mean, it's such an interesting um, kind of multidisciplinary um, uh, projects that you put together. How, yeah, how did you cobble all that together? And then what did you do right after college? I would love to tell you that I had some amazing <laughs> plan, <Yeah. laughs> but in fact, I, I was really just um, concerned with studying something that really fed my soul and my brain, and this is this is what I've been fascinated by. So it was a real leap of faith to just take all these different courses and trust that it was going to lead me to, uh, you know, the right destination, or at least the next step on the path, as it were. Um, I'm also a real anomaly in that the first job I got out of college was at Getty Images. Um, I'm in my mid-30s now, and most of my friends who are my age or around my age have had several different employers, and I have had just the one. Now, that said, I've had a lot of different jobs at Getty Images, and one of the main reasons I've stayed here so long, going on 13 years now, is because my career has been able to evolve and stretch and challenge me, and because it still is very meaningful to me. Um, but that said, the, the first role I had at Getty Images was actually as a sales assistant. And I have to confess, at the time, I didn't even know what the stock photography industry was. Um, you know, I just knew that I wanted to work for a place that had to do with the arts somehow um, and culture. And it was really important to me that I was able to wear jeans to work, <laughs> that, you know, that I didn't have to be overly buttoned up and I could you know, be myself and, and um, embrace my own kind of personal style and, and voice. And that's really what Getty Images is. You know, no matter what department somebody's in, chances are they have some really interesting fascinations outside of work. And, you know, a, a lot of people who work here do so because they love photography or they love art. Um and so it's a really, really great place to work just in terms of the environment and the people that I get to connect with. Um, but that said, I started, you know, as, a, as an entry-level sales position, and it was a really great place to get my feet wet in the industry um, to not only learn about it, but to learn about what our customers were asking for, uh, what kind of images they were choosing to tell their own visual stories. And then, you know, fast forward about a year and a half, um, and a job opened up in the creative department, which is a department that actually works with the photographers and videographers to make the content. And this job was called a creative researcher. And it was, in a nutshell, studying visual culture and studying what our customers were looking for. And then working with the creative department to get those images made. And when I heard about this role, I just couldn't believe my luck because it seemed to be such a confluence of all of the things that I've always gravitated towards and studied 
uh, both, you know, formally at, at college, but also in my spare time. It's just what I love to think about. So it was just really, really good fortune. Um, and then, you know, since I've been in the creative research department, you know, my role has complexified and grown over the years. Interesting. And I want to keep diving into that, but I, I, I was curious, and this could be while you're at Giddy or in college, has, is there, has there been any books or anything like that that's really impacted you that you think everyone should read? You know, two come to mind um, in the context of, of this conversation. And the first is is very kind of um, kind of undergrad 101, but I still think that everybody should give it a read. And that's John Berger's The Ways of Seeing. Um, you might be familiar with it. It's actually based on a documentary series that he did for the BBC. Gosh, I can't remember if it was in the 70s or the early 80s. I want to say the 70s. And he really, um, both, you know, for this documentary series and also in, in the book, he really talks about the ways in which images impact our perceptions. And also he talks a lot about context that, you know, it, it's not just about what the image is, but it, what matters is, you know, who is using the image, how is the image being used, um, and, and it really just had a huge impact on me and the ways in which I think about visual culture. So that's the first book. And the second book, funnily enough, is also a book version of a documentary <laughs> series, um, which is a book called The Power of Myth, which is um, by Joseph Campbell and Bill Moyers. And it was kind of the transcript version of a series of interviews that uh, Bill Moyers did with Joseph Campbell. And for those of you uh, who aren't familiar with Joseph Campbell, he was one of the first uh, what we call mythologists or people who studied comparative mythology. And he was one of the earliest people to really crystallize the idea that myth is universal, that um, it doesn't matter what religion you are or what culture you uh, grew up in, that stories are universal. And there are a lot of themes that are universal, um, you know, transculturally and, and panculturally. And so that was really interesting to me, this idea that, you know, it doesn't matter what name you give the characters. Um, it doesn't matter what costumes or masks they wear. What matters are these universal themes and universal stories that show up over and over and over again. And that really appeals to me, this idea of universality, this idea that, you know, as uh, Joseph, uh, excuse me, as uh, Carl Jung posited, that there might be something called a collective unconscious. Um, in other words, that there is this universal pool of images that seem to connect us all and really, um, I think, are the fabric of our humanity. Interesting. Yeah, I like how you uh, strung together Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung. That was good. I think we need a, we're going to yeah. need another interview just on those two. <laughs> that was good. Oh, my God. <laughs> I could talk about them all day. Yeah. They've had a huge impact on my life and how I look at the world and, you know, not just art and visual culture, but just, you know, the ways in which I interact with other people. You know, it's very, um, 
I think, very, very heart opening Mm -hmm. when you focus on the similarities between different people rather than the differences. Yes. And kind of like you said, that collective unconscious is that underlying energy and just a theme throughout the many cultures and people and, well, most things, which is a, makes life interesting. Um, all right. So, yeah, I was curious. we'll get into Getty, but I have one last question. So do you think when you walk around the city, like walk around Manhattan, like do you look at the world, do you think, a little differently than others? Um, or, or how do you look at it? Or do you... Are you um, maybe pick up more visual cues or images or, yeah, do you think you see the world differently? You know, it, it's really hard for me to say just because I, I, I only know the way that I see the world. <laughs> Fair um, enough. But Fair what, enough. <laughs> what I will say is I, I definitely have my antenna up as I'm walking around, and I, I definitely pay attention to – not just you know the literal images that I see, but also the messages those images are trying to communicate. And you know I'm very very interested in symbolism. So where someone might look at you know a model on a billboard and they might just think she's selling a pair of shoes, let's say, to me depending on how she's dressed, how she's standing, um, what the energy is behind the image. I think of her as an archetype, you know, as a symbol Hmm. for um, some kind of characteristic or icon that is timeless, that is universal. So while someone might just see a model, I might see her as a warrior or a goddess or um, a, a, a mother archetype. And you know, a lot of that, again, comes from Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung's influence on me. Interesting. I like that. I like that. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little about the uh, uh, Giddy Images now. And you talked about your, a little bit about your role, but what do you ex- do now um, exactly? I don't think, I don't know if we got quite to what do you, what you do right now. Um, sure. Yeah. So... I'm the director of visual trends for North America at Getty Images. And what that means is I help head up a team called the Creative Research Team. And the Creative Research Team's job is to uh, both study our, our internal data, so that's, you know, everything from our search terms and search metrics as they rise and fall to our sales data, literally seeing which images are performing well and then analyzing why they might be. Um, It also studies the world around us. So everybody on my team is tasked with reading a ton of blogs and magazines and knowing what the most discussed articles are on social or, you know, what are the trending visuals happening in pop culture. Um, All of that swirls into the secret sauce, so to speak. And, of course, a lot of it is speaking with our customers, uh, both one-on-one and and when we're presenting on visual trends at at conferences and events and the like, um, because we get, of course, a a really great read on the pulse of visual culture when we're tracking what it is our customers are, are working on and what they're going to be looking for from us. So once we have that plan... We then work very closely with our creative team 
um, which are global. We have um, art directors and photo editors all around the world. And we work with them to help plan photo shoots. And all of them have relationships with photographers and videographers globally who then create those images. And I often say that if my team is doing our job well, we will have the images on gettyimages.com before our customers even know that they need them. So we do that, you know, both by running brainstorms for the creative departments. Um, We write a lot of briefs, which go up on the contributor site, uh, which all of our contributors have access to. Um, And, you know, we run workshops for our contributors. So there's a whole bunch of different ways that we're actually communicating out the trends to our contributors and then having them create images around those trends. And then, you know, the last piece I'll say is that my team is also tasked with identifying trends and communicating what those trends are going to be. So, you know, we often speak to our customers um, and present on trends at various workshops. We also put out a book every year called Creative in Focus, where we predict the six biggest trends we think are going to have the most impact on the world in the coming year. And it's been really, really fruitful um, to be able to share our research with our customers and not just our contributors, because then we can engage in this really rich creative dialogue with our customers and be more creative partners um, to them than simply just vendors, you know? Interesting. And and do you think over the years uh, you've gotten better at identifying trends or... uh... Is it an iterative process, or it just depends upon the year? How good you do? Ooh, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I'm I'm happy to say that my team is made up of some really incredible brains. So <laughs> there haven't been too many instances where we've grossly missed the mark. Really? I'm happy to say. Wow. Um, There's, you know, certain times when we were a little bit too early and um, that, you know, that certainly has happened to me personally a couple times. Um, But then, you know, I always get to feel smug a couple years later when the trend (laughs) finally hits um, and try not to glow too, too much because that's very gauche. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I remember, for example, you know, A number of years ago, I was reading a lot of articles about robotics and how, you know, robots were going to be the new frontier, not only, you know, in kind of the more high-end science and tech spheres, but also in the consumer sphere. And so I was really excited about this. I had all this great statistics. I had all these great articles to cite, some search stats. And, you know, I tried to get our teams to do a whole bunch of robot shoots. And this was a good, gosh, maybe six or seven, maybe even eight years ago. And we did a bunch of those shoots. And, you know, now they're starting to perform well because I think only now are people really talking about, you know, robots coming into hospitals or robots coming into the household. And often they're not, you know, anthropomorphized. They're, in other words, they don't often look like people, which is what we thought it would be. 
Um, you know, now robots, sometimes they might look anthropomorphic, but sometimes they look like little stuffed animals, like Paro the comfort mm. seal, or they look like the Roomba, you know? So um, that's something that's been an evolving trend. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm not sorry that we called it a little bit early, but um, definitely it's only now that we're seeing that wave kind of splash. Interesting. And, and is there another trend that you, you, know, you predicted right on? And how can you kind of walk us through how how you predicted that trend? I mean, it might be hard to go piece by piece, but, you know, what did you all kind of synthesize with blogs and you know, how do you kind of come yeah. to the decisions like, oh, this is going to be it. <laughs> so do you score sure. stuff? Yeah. What's your process? The one that comes to mind um, immediately is a trend that's still going very, very strong and something that's very close to my heart. And that's this trend that we're seeing, um, you know, that started as kind of a female empowerment trend. This is something that I'm really proud to say we were very ahead of the curve on. Um, and so much so that a, a couple of years ago when we started really tracking it, um, we decided to put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, and form an entire um, partnership and um, creative imagery collection around it. Um, and what I'm referring to is a partnership and a collection called the Lean In Collection, which we did in collaboration with Cheryl Sandberg's nonprofit, leanin.org. And this is a collection of images that break gender stereotypes. And at its core features images of women who are leaders and who are strong and authentic and vital and not kind of that cliche, objectified, wafy sex <laughs> object that, you know, we, we all have grown up with. And, um, you know, that, that has been one of the most meaningful and I would say successful uh, projects that I've gotten to work on in my career, and it's still going really strong. But when we launched the collection two years ago, we were able to um, rationalize it for a whole number of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, you know, what we were observing, we were starting to see um, conversations evolving online. You know, we were starting to see feminism have this fourth wave bubble up and people actually using the word feminist again, uh, which, you know, as we know, fell very out of fashion over the last couple decades, um, which is now being reclaimed by a whole generation of, of younger women. And we started seeing things like our top selling images of women evolving. Um, so, and this is at this point kind of going down in Getty lore. I've told this story a number of times, but, but for, for the sake of your listeners, I'll tell it once more. So our top selling image of a woman in 2007 was an image of a woman who was very perfect and modelly looking. She's just kind of lying around in sheets, um, presumably naked under the sheets. She doesn't have very much to do with her day. She's just very, very passive and dead-eyed and kind of, um, you know, perfect in that very cliche, objectified female way. 
And then five years later, in the year 2012, we noticed that our top selling of a, image of a woman was this image of a woman on a train. And she was still an attractive woman, but in a much more authentic and relatable, relatable way. She, um, you know, was wearing clothing, which was thrilling, <laughs> as you can imagine. Step and, up. you know, the fact that... She, yeah. The fact that she was on a train, really, you know, talk about visual metaphors, talk about symbols. It, it really suggests that she has forward momentum in her life. You know, she's going on a journey. Um, she's not passive. She's active. She has dynamism and energy, um, you know, in the image. And that, that's just a five-year change that, that we were tracking this really monumental evolution. Um, so, so that was certainly a big piece um, of the puzzle. And then we also just started to pick up on things like the rise of female comedians, you know, everybody from Amy Schumer to the Broad City women, um, and, and the ways in which this appetite for an irreverent, bold um, woman who knows her own mind and who doesn't take a back seat to anyone um, was really meeting the consumer space and consumer demand. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's just a couple examples of our thinking. And I'm really happy to say, you know, we were right on the money with that. And since we launched the Lean In collection and have been doing a lot of imagery around female empowerment, um, we've extended that trend and added further complexity to it. So it evolved the next year into a trend we call gender blend, in which we really acknowledged that this isn't just about women and girls. It's also about the ways in which we're letting go of the idea that gender is a binary and that women always have to look like this and act like this and men always have to look like this and act like this. That, in fact, there's much more blur and bleed between the two and that um, that the breakdown of these calcified cultural assumptions about gender is ultimately this really positive thing. And I think it's one of the reasons, you know, we're seeing lots of advertising where little girls are playing sports and, you know, boys are more comfortable being sensitive and affectionate. Um, and I, I think it's also leading up into, you know, this current um, shift where we're seeing a rising visibility of the transgender population, where it feels like the world and um, the marketplace, frankly, is getting ready for this, and in many cases is already ready for this, for this idea that gender is complex and that it's all okay. Hmm. Interesting. That, that's a good story. Um, so, so do you, uh, you know, kind of predict? You know, you have like general subjects like the lean in, but what about like colors and um, maybe textures? Do you also um, make predictions kind of in those spaces as well? Is it more like general kind of concepts? It, it's also aesthetic trends for sure. And 
you know, sometimes it's textures. So, you know, the last couple of years, funnily enough, wood grain texture has been very, very popular. And I'm sure it's no surprise to anyone who's listening who is tracking, you know, that rise of the very artisanal, heritage, farm fresh kind of aesthetic that's been so popular lately, um, I think is a real answer to the digital world we're living in more. It's like the more digital we become, the more we long for the tactile, the homemade, um, you know, the, the sensory. So certainly we track things like that. We also just track photography trends overall. So as you can imagine, now that everybody has a, a camera attached to their phone, that snapshotty, Instagrammy, mobile phone kind of look has really seeped into mass commercial photography. So, you know, certainly we still do lots of photo shoots that are highly produced and very polished and, and beautiful, um, but we have many, many, many more images that we're creating which have a little bit of glitch to them or imperfection or, you know, feel more like a caught, candid moment that you might see coming through your social media stream, um, you know, than in compared to that slick advertising of years past. Um, so that's been a real shift. So absolutely, you know, aesthetic trends have a huge impact on the way we work and the images we create. Interesting. And how do you know if a trend is already mainstream or if it's, you know, cause you, like you said, you want to be, you don't want to be too far ahead, but you don't want to be too late. So how do you uh, kind of gauge like if uh, this lean in movement was, you know, were you too late to the party or uh, um, obviously you weren't with that one, <laughs> but uh, with other trends, <laughs> how, how do you know um, if you're, you know, ahead of the, ahead of the trend or not? Or if you're just catching yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, you know, fortunately for me in my position, how, how we know is by sales, you know, and oh, we yeah, have access yeah. to sales data. So, you know, when we're predicting these trends and we're creating images around the trends, we can absolutely tie them to revenue um, and, and to search as well to see whether or not customers are starting to look for the types of search terms that are related to those trends. And it's really, really gratifying um, when that starts to come through. And, you know, to, to your point, it's a little bit of chicken or the egg, right? Because we have to be predictive, but we can't kind of pull out of nowhere. We have to see some sort of evidence that these trends are happening. Um, and yet we don't want there to be so much evidence that the trend is already, you know, kind of saturated the marketplace and we're behind the curve. So it really is both an art and a science. A lot of it is just about pattern recognition, about ingesting a whole boatload of visual culture and, and articles and conversations and anecdotal feedback and, you know, living our own lives and then having a lot of wonderful spirited debate amongst ourselves um, to talk about what we think, you know, is going to be the most influential trend shifts on the aesthetic field. Um, but, but then we always have to root it, you know, sometimes a little bit retroactively. First, we might say, oh, we think this is a trend. Let's now go see if the data supports it. Um, but we must have that data piece 
you know, coming through to make sure that we're not just, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of, I don't know, not making stuff up, but, but, you know, that we're not totally missing the mark anyway. No, that makes sense. And, and what are some of your, and I know we're getting near the end here, so just a two or three more questions. What are some of your strong, strongest like signals um, as far as what could predict the trends? Like, do you have some, you don't have to give all your secret sauce away, of course, but uh, do you have certain uh, certain blogs that you kind of, that are a very good indicator of what might be happening? Um, yeah, is there? Yeah. Yeah. Social media has been amazing, and I think anybody who's in the space of um, certainly visual culture um, will 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 agree with me on that. You know, the fact that there are now algorithms which literally are telling you what people are talking about and what images are the most shared and who is the most followed and um, what's the most retweeted. I mean, that stuff is gold. But I will say that, you know, a lot of people get hung up on that. And often that can just be an echo chamber, right? Like it's great to see when a lot of people are talking about something or sharing something. But as far as my team is concerned, that's only one ingredient. Um, And it really has to have a, a richer context for us in order for us to be able to um, you know, put a stake in the ground and say that we think that this is a trend that's here to last. Because you have to bear in mind, we not only have a responsibility to our customers, we have a responsibility to our contributors. You know, we're guiding them and we're telling them that they need to be creating certain images um, on these certain trends. And, you know, their livelihood depends on us being right. So we, we take it very, very seriously, and we make sure that there's a lot of thought and a lot of research that goes into the trends before we start asking our contributors to create content around it. Yeah, your job sounds tough. I don't think I'd be very good at your job, I'll be honest. <laughs> it's, it's so it's, fun, though. I, it sounds awesome. It's, it sounds it's, awesome, but yeah. it sounds hard. <laughs> you're, t- you're taking all this yeah. information and data and synthesize it, and then like, okay, here – we think this is going to happen. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's impressive. But, uh, um, yeah, maybe very interesting to get in your your head and your team's head, <laughs> see how you guys make that happen. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, what I love about it is it's very left brain and very right brain um, because I am someone with, you know, such a, a strong artistic background. The fact that I'm able to have a career um, where I get to think about art and imagery all day is just the luckiest thing. Um, But it's also rooted in analysis and in making sure that we're not only making these predictions, but that we're communicating about them clearly too, to our contributors and our customers. And so that's why I love it. You know, it's a really holistic job and it really, you know, stimulates my entire cerebral cortex. so, you know, I, I, I feel very, very fortunate, and I have a great team that I work with um, who are all smarty pants in their own right. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious, your team, what type of a background does your team have? Is it a big variety? Yeah, everybody 
comes from a slightly different orientation, which is great. We have some people who have a little bit more of like an editorial um, kind of journalism type background. We have some people who have more of an advertorial background. Um, we have some people who have a little bit more of an artistic background. So it's it's a real um, kind of great melting pot. But there's so much cross-pollination between us that we're also kind of like one mind as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, if, if, if we're all kind of synced up and, and um, getting on the same page together, which happily we are more often than not. Huh, yeah, that sounds fun. And um, so two more questions, and then uh, unfortunately we should probably end it. So uh, one, question, one question is uh, – can you, uh, and maybe you can't share too much, but can you share any predictions for the next year year or two? Absolutely. Um, some of the predictions actually are in our book that is called Creative and Focus. And um, there are six trends that we've predicted, which I'm really happy to say are taking off as we speak. Um, so I don't know if we have time for all six, but maybe I'll just pick a couple yeah, and good. start talking about them. So one is a trend that we call divine living. And this is a trend that really speaks to the ways in which people are looking for more meaning, um, for more spiritual texture um, and messaging coming from the brands that they interface with. And, you know, we're seeing it happen um, in the rise of a lot of kind of new agey um, aesthetics and language. Even if you think about like the Pantone colors of the year, they're rose quartz and serenity, <laughs> uh, which we found very, very gratifying after we predicted the trend. Um, so, so that's been one. And that's been really, really incredible to to see take off. You know, we're seeing search terms like integrity, mindfulness, mystical, spiritual, all growing vastly in our customer search. So that's a big one. And, and that's one that we predict is going to be here for, you know, the next um, at least couple of years, I would say. And then another one I'll mention is a trend that we call outsider in. And this is a trend that posits that this idea of being an outsider, a rebel, a maverick is becoming far more popular, which is ironic if you think about it, that outsiderism is actually becoming popular and mass enculturated. Um, you know, certainly the U.S. election is a really good example of outsider in when you think about how the three um, big, uh, you know, people who are running now are all trying to position themselves as outsiders um, <laughs> in true. different ways, yeah. whether from a business standpoint, a gender standpoint, a government standpoint. Um, but, you know, we've also just seen a great deal of irreverence and attitude and um, nonconformity be embraced you know, visually and in messaging in all kinds of campaigns and all kinds of products that are coming out. So that's been really, really neat. Um, so we're seeing search terms like bold choices, rebellious, stand out in a crowd, maverick, all skyrocketing this year. 
So those are two of the ones that, that I love and, and that come to mind. Yeah, I think you you nailed both those uh, on the head, that's for sure. And and uh I think uh I was I was probably a little bit ahead of the trend in two thousand five I started a company called the Mindful Chaos. So I guess I was a little I guess I was, <laughs> I guess I was a little I was about 10 years. You're a perfect combination of the two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Uh, um, That's great. Yeah. Um, beginner's luck, right? That's like the only time probably I've ever gotten ahead of a trend by 10 years. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. That's right. <laughs> you might, you might, you know, be a really great uh, visual trend analyst yourself. That's yep. That's good. <laughs> no. Yeah. I don't know about that, but I appreciate the, the support. <laughs> um, all right. So let's see. That was, yeah, that was, that was great. And so two, one more question. And so this one, we'll see if you have an answer or not, but I was curious, this is more, a little more personal, but when you're uh, walking around Manhattan and I'm, I'm always somewhat obsessed with Manhattan and New York city. So I'll ask a question. What is there a place there that you find, I guess, visually um, inspiring or a place where you go and like, oh, you know, you just get excited um, about what you're doing or just um, the visual component in general? Absolutely. I am a museum junkie. <laughs> um, yeah, my favorite thing to do is go to museums and galleries. Um, and I also love films. So some of my favorite places to go, um, you know, certainly... Um, PS1 is a really great uh, contemporary art museum, actually out in Queens. It's a, the contemporary branch of MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, and you can always make some really great discoveries at PS1, so I love it there. Um, of course, I love the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and that's been my favorite place in New York ever since I was a little kid. And um, I actually love not only, you know, their modern and contemporary art that they show, but I actually find a lot of inspiration in seeing, you know, art that's hundreds or thousands of years old, because as we said earlier in the program, these themes are universal. These emotions are timeless. And so that's a really great place to get recentered and to see that, you know, throughout time and, and in every culture, we've had people who are using images to create um, stories about love, about fear, about connection, about spirituality, about community. And so I find that to be very, very um, inspiring. And, you know, it really helps for me um, kind of get a little bit recentered because, you know, so many of us are on the web all day long. It's so easy for us to get caught up in whatever the flavor of, not just of the month, now it's the flavor of the hour, right? Online. <laughs> and so by going to the Metropolitan Museum, it just reminds me what's really important to human beings. And, and no matter what the visuals um, evolve as or into um, those stories, I believe, are absolutely crucial and powerful, and they're going to be here for a good long time. That's interesting. So you, what you look at the or you think about the stories as much as the actual 
visual cues, the colors. Absolutely. Yeah, it's important to know yeah. what what is the message of the image? What is the concept behind the image? You know, we dream in images every single night, and there there has to be something more to pictures than, you know, the fact that they just flash in front of our eyes. These are messengers. They're trying to tell us something. And, you know, if we take the time to really pay attention to them, I think we can access profound levels of understanding. Hmm. Yeah, I can tell that you think a lot about this because you have such a wonderful way of describing, you know, I would never describe a museum like that, but it's great. That's, yeah, so I uh, appreciate the, you coming on the show and uh, sharing everything. That, it's been quite interesting, and I think that's probably a good place to stop right there because that was a nice uh, way to hear how you get inspired. So, Pam, definitely appreciate you coming good. on the show. Thank you so much, Dave. This was a really, really fun conversation. Uh, you asked some great questions, and I had a really good time. Oh, well. Thank you, and uh, maybe we'll have you on in a couple more years, and we, I, you can predict some more trends. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, anytime. I'd be happy to. And you know, I just want to mention whether or not this makes it on air, or if this is something you might want to follow up on when you post it. But your listeners can read the entire Creative in Focus book um, on iBooks. They can download it for free. So. Please, you know, feel free to link to it, or if you need me to record a line saying that, I'm happy to as well. No, that's a great idea. Yeah, we'll link to it on the podcast. That's a good idea. So if uh, I'll make a note to do that, to get that, and if I forget, you guys can yell at me. And <laughs> we'll make sure. No it's problem. Up there. Kelly, Kelly can <laughs> send you a link to it. All right, excellent. Um, yes, and we'll we'll keep this in the interview. So. Uh, uh, I'll just uh, sign off here to everyone else, and then, uh, yeah, we can talk after. But uh, I just want to thank everyone for listening to another episode of Flyer Labs. I learned a lot, and now I'm more inspired. So thanks, everyone, and thank you again to Pam. Thanks, Dave, and thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs> All right, bye.